You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. There's a true story of a small village in India. And in this village, there was this family that came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This agitated the village so much, and everybody became so upset that an angry mob gathered and shoved them into the public square. The village chief confronted them, and he said to the man, If you and your family will not recant your faith, you all will surely die. The man didn't know what to say or what to do. And so the only thing that came to mind for him were the words of a song that he himself had composed when he had first surrendered his life to God. And so he began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And with that, horrifically, his children were killed. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He was given another chance, this time with his wife's life on the line. And yet he continued to sing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. After her tragic death, he was given one final opportunity, this time to save himself. And yet he continued to sing. Even though that man and his family died on that day, something remarkable happened. A seed was planted in the heart of that village chief, a seed that began to grow over time and eventually he called the community together in that very same neighborhood, in that very same square, 
and he renounced his former faith and declared his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And a celebration broke out in that moment and the gospel began to flourish and to grow in that community, not just in that village, but across the whole region because they had seen real faith and they knew the true character of God because of a family that believed and sacrificed even under the penalty of death. There is a cost to following Jesus. That day that you guys chose to uh, give your life to the Lord, I know some of you in this room may not be a believer, but most of you will be. Do you remember the day that you gave your heart to the Lord? Wasn't it a good day? I know for me, it was months and months of anticipation because I've been attending a church for about six months, going to this youth group, and I so badly wanted to surrender. You know when the Holy Spirit is just gnawing on you, and you just feel like you have to respond? I had that for about six months, while I continued to push back, push back. And part of the reason that I was pushing back was because my sister, who was the only person in my family that had a Bible, I shared this a little while ago on a Tuesday evening. My sister had a Bible, and it was the only Bible in the house. And I had started attending this youth Bible study, and I needed a Bible. So I went to her one night, I knocked on her door, and I said, hey, you have an old Bible in here? Could I have it? And she handed it to me, and she flipped it over, and there was this beautiful floral collage that she had made on, on the front cover. And I thought, ooh. It'll have to do. <laughs> but uh, so she handed it to me, but she said this, and I, and I never forgot it. She said, you know what? When I used to go to summer camp with our neighbors, it was a Christian summer camp, and they gave me this Bible, and I would go, and every year I would give my heart to the Lord, and I would get excited, and then I'd come home from camp, and I'd read my Bible for a few days, and then slowly it would just kind of peter out, and I'd be living my life as though I'd never met Jesus for the rest of the year until the following summer. Then I'd show up at camp and I'd dedicate my heart again and I'd be so excited to follow Jesus and I'd go home after that week at camp and I'd open my Bible for a couple days and I'd read it and slowly that reading and that um, questioning about who is God and wanting to know him just dissipated. And she told me the third year that I went to camp, which was my last year I went to camp, I decided I had to make a decision. I'm either for Jesus or I'm not. And my sister is somebody who is, hates two-facedness. She hates hypocrisy. She's somebody who is either hot or cold on everything. And she told me at the end of that year, I thought I'd give it one more try. Maybe I got two weeks in reading my Bible and it phased out, and I made the decision that I was going to live for me because I didn't have what it took. And she said, I'll give you this Bible, but all, you, all I will say is you have to make a decision. 
either be all in or not because it's a waste of your time if you're not going to be. And I remember thinking, like, my sister's never talked about faith things with me ever in my life. If anything, I thought she'd kind of give me funny looks when I said I was going to this church youth group. But I always remembered that. And over the six months that I was attending this youth group, that always weighed on my mind. And I was that altar call after altar call. And even though my mind intellectually was, was struggling with some of the truths that were being presented, and I'd push back, there was always something in me that was also saying, can you count the cost? Eventually, I, I began to realize that the sin issue that I had was not just about the bad things that I was doing, but that my actual condition as a human being in a fallen world was corrupted. And that sin was not just doing good things, doing bad things, and, and, and living righteously was simply doing good things. And so finally one day, the Holy Spirit was just gnawing at my heart so much, I just I could hardly handle it. I wanted so badly to raise my hand to go up to the front to give my life to God, but I, I didn't. I stayed back in my seat. But fortunately for me, one of my youth leaders could sense that God was moving on my heart that day. And she came over and asked me, Mark, do you know Jesus? And I said, I know a lot about him. I've been coming for six months. And uh, I just kind of had my head down. I wasn't sure what to do. And she said, would you like to know Jesus? And I said, yes. And in that moment, I decided, you know what, I'm all in. I've been fighting it for six months, but now I'm all in. And I realized pretty early on in my faith that there is a cost to following Jesus. And my first cost to following Jesus was preparation for a missions trip. Most of you will probably know that Pastor Lance was my youth pastor. Uh, I didn't get saved when Lance was at Vinpark Christian Assembly in Calgary, but uh, he came shortly after. And Lance was pretty serious about mission trips. Lance was not a guy that was going to take a group of teenagers halfway across the world if they weren't serious about living out their faith here. And the first mission trip I went on was a global youth mission, which was uh, through uh, Mike Love's organization and, and YC. And they were implementing a YC in Kiev in the Ukraine. And we'd meet once a week for months. We did fundraising initiatives. We had to serve in the youth ministry. We had to prepare our testimony. We had to be serving outside of the church in some capacity. We had to, it, it, was, it was very involved, more than I think a lot of the kids realized when they signed up to go on this missions trip. But all the work paid off. When we got there, every single one of us was ready to stand up and share a testimony. There wasn't anybody on our team that was too shy, that couldn't stand up, and share a testimony of what God had done in their life. And this week I began to reflect just on my life and, and, and I've been watching the news. Has anyone here been following the news lately? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, isn't there? A lot of crazy stuff going on. But at the start of this month, there was kind of a horrific event that happened in Egypt. There were three bombing attacks by ISIS on three Christian churches. And... I've been hearing about a lot of things over the years. You hear about ISIS beheading Christians and, and other Muslim groups that don't think exactly like they do. You hear about persecuted Christians all over the world. But something really hit home when I was watching this news report on the 90 people that were killed and the 125 that were injured in this bombing attack. 
And I just couldn't get it out of my head. It's just been, been lingering there for weeks. And since then, I've been really taking time to say, God, thank you that I live in a country that is safe, that I have freedom to be able to worship my God without fearing bodily harm when I leave this building. And then it occurred to me, is it possible that the freedom and the safety and the comfort of our society is actually preventing us from following Jesus in a way that he's calling us to? Is it possible that our very freedoms and security are actually a hindrance? They're a blessing, but is it possible that I allow it to hinder me from fully giving my life to Jesus, from separating my life, giving Jesus Sunday mornings between 10 and 12, and living for my life the rest of the week? I began to reflect on, on what Christians around the world have, have to deal with on a daily basis. For example, Kristen Anish. Sri Lanka is a Buddhist nation. And I know Nish over the years has told me many stories of harsh persecution of their family. They went through a civil war. I always thought in my mind of Buddhists as these bald guys wearing robes, sitting up in the mountaintop somewhere, hemming and hawing. If you ask Nish what the actual Buddhist culture is in like Sri Lanka, that, that's not his story. His story is more along of they can control the people. And when the Christians are there and they're sharing a new belief system that challenges theirs, they get upset. And they have a rally cry. And they gather all the peasants and the, and, and the people. And they go with pitchforks and torches and burn down churches, beat people up. His brother, I believe, just recently in the last couple of years actually had his church burned. And uh, the persecution that people feel around the world is real. It's a real thing. And when I began to reflect on my own persecution, it's sometimes I think, is it even really persecution? Like, for example, um, I don't know if you've experienced this. You're out with your friends. You're out somewhere, and people, someone finds out they didn't know that you're a Christian or a churchgoer, and all of a sudden they're, they act different around you, or maybe they make some jokes, or, or uh, maybe somebody mocks you, or, or things like that. I've had that quite a bit. In the 13 years that I've followed Jesus, I've had relatively mild forms of persecution compared to what I mentioned earlier. Jokes at my expense that people think and call me simple-minded or stupid for believing in such fairy tales and Bible stories as I do. My family is consistently misunderstanding me, and they really do not understand why I would want to pursue a life of ministry. They do not understand it. My mom was so excited when I... I did youth ministry at this church for like three and a half, almost four years. And when I left and, and got a job elsewhere, my mom called me and said, I'm so happy that you finally got a real job. My mom has no idea what ministry is or what I do or what youth ministry was. And I have no idea what people think when they ask her what's Mark doing because I, I have no idea what the heck she says. But in comparison, the persecution that we feel in our society really is, is quite mild. It's quite in comparison. But I'd be curious to know of the people that are sitting in this room, when you gave your heart to the Lord, was the cost of following Jesus 
forefront on your mind. When the gospel was presented to you, was it presented in such a way in which you knew that you were giving up your whole life to follow Jesus? Or is it just something else that you're adding in to make your life better? Did you expect to drop everything you're doing, your, your will, your hopes, your dreams, your desires to follow Jesus? Or is Jesus more of something that makes your life better than you expect him to follow you around while you do what you do and hope that he blesses it? The scripture says that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The New Living Translation puts it this way, blessed are those who are persecuted because they live for God. A servant is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Persecution, we're going to experience it. If you truly follow Jesus, if you yield to the Holy Spirit in your life, if you take risks, if you, like John said this morning, if we are bold in our faith, we will face a certain level of persecution. It's not going to be the same for every single person. And as we go around the world, it's going to look different ways. It's going to look like something different. But in the end, we all must know that to obey Jesus and to follow him with everything and to share the gospel is going to require a cost. Can I be candid with you guys this morning? Do I have permission just to share what's on my heart and what God's been challenging me with recently? You see, the truth is that many of us in this room will never really face harsh persecution. And the reason is, is because we never step out. We fear persecution. We fear what people are going to say. We fear what people are going to think. And so rather than dealing with any affliction, any ill thoughts towards you, you'd rather just say nothing, do nothing, blend in with the crowd and be like everyone else. But Jesus said, if you follow me, you will have persecution. And so if you've been following God for a significant amount of time, and you don't feel like there's been a cost, if you don't feel as though you've ever been persecuted, I'd ask the question, who is it that you're actually following? Lately, I've been wondering if there's a lot of Christian people out there that call themselves Christians that are walking around with a false sense of security. A few months back, I was, I was in Calgary, and I was talking to a friend who I used to go to youth group with who, in her adult life, has basically denied Jesus. She's never gone to church. She, she doesn't worship God. She never reads her Bible. She, she lives a completely secularized life. We, I talk about some of the decisions that I've made with my wife, and she thinks some of them are silly. Really, they're just commands that Jesus has given us. But she still thinks that her eternal salvation is secure. Like, she thinks that she's going to heaven, that she is a Christian. And I began to reflect on that. Are there people that are walking around that have said a prayer, a half-hearted prayer one time in their life, 
or maybe were sprinkled with some water as a baby, that think that they got their eternity sealed, that are going to be sorely disappointed one day. And I sometimes wonder if faith that's never tested or faith that's never exercised, if it's really faith at all. To claim you believe something and then do the opposite every single day, can you really say you believe it? Now, I'm, not, I'm preaching to you, but I'm also preaching to myself. Because these are things that God has been challenging me in my heart. Because I think it's serious. Because I think that the life that we have right now, the comfort of our society, things are, are slowly changing. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a new hostility in the air around the word of God and the truth of God's word. And I truly believe it's going to get worse. And every single one of you in this room, if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some ridicule, some mocking perhaps. It might get to the point where it might actually require breaking the law, as horrible as that sounds. That sometimes the government comes up with these motions and these things that really are totally counter to the Christian faith. And for example, in the States, I know there's been lots of issues of, of people around the issues of not wanting to do certain things for gay weddings and things, and people's businesses being shut down. And, and there's this battle right now going on between freedom of religion and freedom of expression and services being, being given to people um, and what the right of the consumer is and what the right of the shopkeeper is or the person providing the service. And uh, pretty much Canada follows along with what's happening in the States or likewise. A lot of the social change that you see in Europe in the United States and Canada, usually they're following kind of a similar pattern. But to follow Jesus, there is a cost and it's high. And Jesus says it'll cost you everything. In the parable of the soils in Mark 4, Jesus describes conditions of the soils in which his word lands on. I'd like to, I'd like to suggest today that some of us in this room might not all be good soil. The Bible here talks about rocky ground, a person that hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, like many people do when they receive Jesus for the first time. However, they have no firm root, and the affliction and persecution, when it comes, they immediately deny Jesus and they fall away. Who's seen that? Who's been that? I'll leave my hand up. Maybe for the whole service. Matthew 5.11 says, God blesses you when you are mocked, persecuted, lied about, because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be glad, for the great reward awaits for you in heaven. Remember the ancient prophets were persecuted too. When's the last time you heard that scripture in a call to salvation? I've never given it. But I wonder if maybe I should be. Luke 14, 25 to 30. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to one of them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, 
and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. (whistles) At first, that sounds really harsh, but really what Jesus is saying is that he wants to be first in our life. He's not saying don't love your children. He's not saying don't love your, your wife. He's saying if you love them more than me, you can't be my disciple. If you love your life as it is more than me, then you can't be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first go down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What's interesting about building a building and not being able to finish it is it's right in the public eye all the time. Every time you drive by, you think, oh, there's that house that they ran out of money. Or there's that building that they ran out of money. But if we don't count the cost, and when affliction and persecution comes, rather than standing up to it and standing firm and and reaching for Jesus, we choose to melt away. We choose to back off. People may not know. The chances are you're not going to be coming here every single week. You maybe won't be the eyesore that that unfinished building is. But your heart is unfinished. And I know God's heart must just ache when he sees people that are this close, that have heard the gospel, and they say, yes, God, I want it, and they fall away. And they fall away. These seem like harsh words. But really, in life, if you're going to do anything, isn't it worth making sure that you can complete it? When you got married to your spouse, did you not want to make sure that they were in it for the long haul? If you sat down for your first marriage counseling session with Hayward, and he said, so how committed are you to, to your wife there, sir? And he said, well, it depends. First day I come home, if there's cooking's not on the table, I'm done with her. How would that make you feel as a wife? Really? But then why is it that when we have expectations of what God should do in our life, and those expectations don't get met, that sometimes we think, ah, God, I guess, I guess this isn't working out for me, or I guess I'm not... I'm not following you, or I guess this isn't, is, isn't your will or something. Well, maybe it is. Maybe he's just trying to teach you something in that hard time. Then I think sometimes in the North American church, we think following Christ should be easy because Christ went on the cross. He took our sins, yes, but that doesn't mean that our life is going to be without any pain or suffering. He never promises that. In fact, he says the opposite. If anyone wishes to come after me, he says in Luke 9.23, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, I think one of the most important words in that little script there is, is daily. 
that you can be doing really, really well. You could be, your heart wants to serve Jesus. And you may be doing it very faithfully. And then one day you wake up and you begin to compromise. This is a daily thing. It's, not, it's just not a one-time decision and then you're good and then you just go on living your life like it never happened because I made it into heaven. The salvation is not a get out of hell free card. It's not a pass, go, collect $200. But it's actually a relationship with Jesus. Jesus describes in the book of John eternal life as knowing the Son and the fa- knowing the Father and the Son whom he sent. That eternal life is eternity with Jesus, walking in relationship with him, understanding his love for you and worshiping him forever. I recently uh, was watching an interview with uh, Jim Caviza. He was the actor that played in The Passion of the Christ. Have, is there anybody here that's never seen The Passion of the Christ? Yeah? Well, it was a movie, I think it was around 2005 or so, Mel Gibson felt that God was calling him to make a movie about the death and resurrection of Christ. And he wasn't sure who he was going to get to play the role of, of Jesus, but he really felt like this man, Jim Caviezel, was the guy. So he called him in, but he wasn't sure how he was going to react. So he gave him a script for a different movie called Mavericks. And Jim was reading the script, and he thought, you know, this isn't a really a very good script. And then about five, ten minutes later, Mel Gibson walked in and said, I would really like you to play Jesus in this film we're doing, The Passion of the Christ. But um, I want you to know it's not going to be an easy movie to make, that the focus as the script is written right now is primarily on the suffering of Jesus, not the resurrection. He said it's probably going to be one of the most gory versions that's ever been on film. Jim think, thought about it, and, and it, he was a Christian man, and it resonated in his spirit. He said, yes, I want to play Jesus. I do not believe that I'm worthy to play Jesus, but God's called me, so here I go. What am I going to do with it? So he leaves this meeting with Mel after committing to play the role of Jesus, at least consider it. And about a couple, two or three hours later, Mel Gibson calls him back and tries to convince him not to play the role. He said, you know what? I don't know if you really want to play this role. Do you know what it's going to mean? Hollywood is quite hostile to Christian things. And I don't think they might not like this. This could be your last major gig in Hollywood. Like maybe you, you shouldn't do this role. And um, Mel Gibson began to tell him some of his deep, dark secrets, some of his character flaws, some of the things that he had recently done that he knew were going to come out publicly during the filming of this, of this Passion of the Christ. And despite all these decisions, Jim responded by saying, bring it on. I'm going to do it. When they started going through some of the filming, or before the filming, and they were just figuring out a few script, script issues, making sure it was really scriptural, there was some discussion about possibly tailoring back some of the gore. That they weren't sure if the religious audience would be up for that much blood. And so there was some discussion, should we tailor back and maybe focus a little bit more on the resurrection? of Christ rather than the suffering that he went through, which is the majority of the film. To this, Jim Caviezel responded by saying, everyone wants resurrection, but nobody wants suffering. 
Can you have a gold medal Olympian without suffering? You see, an athlete doesn't get to the podium without sacrifice, without training. You'll never get a gold medal without a coach, without someone coaching you through it. Without unrelenting passion and endurance, you're not going to make it. You see, we all want a victorious life in Jesus, but are we willing to pay the cost? And the cost isn't to subject yourself to persecution. That's not entirely what I'm talking about here. Are you willing to allow God to transform you? Are you willing to submit your heart and your life and your thought life to Jesus? Are you willing to give God your hurt and your bitterness that you're holding against somebody that hurt you? Are you willing to let go of your resentment of your parents for something that perhaps they did or didn't do for you? You see, the mark of a Christian life is a transformed life. The old is gone and the new is risen. We are born again. But the problem is there's remnants of our old self that are there. And there's this battle all the time. Do we walk into what God's called us to, into our new life? Or do we fall back into our old life, into our old habits, into our old way of thinking? If anyone wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself, which means putting aside your selfish ambition, shouldering your cross daily, and following him. You see, what many of us face today is busyness. It's a competition for our time, our attention, and our love. We live in a culture that's driven by the pursuit of health, wealth, and happiness. And there's a pretty good strain of health, wealth, and happiness teachings in the church. And some of it's good. God wants to bless us. But the problem is, is that wealth is such a double-edged sword that God wants to bless us and give us exactly what we need to do what he's calling us to do. But he knows that it's such a trap, that it's so easy to fall into the love of money and pursuing money over him. There's always a new get-rich-quick scheme or an instant six-pack absolution at hand. Lance used to make fun of me for this. But I once shared a message of how I made a 4 a.m. TV infomercial purchase, my first credit card purchase ever. And it was on a Get Fit program called Hip Hop Abs. Have any of you heard of it? Oh, there's a few people that have. Did you buy it too? Oh, I am alone. Well, as you can tell, it's completely transformed my body. I would show you my abs, but they just blow you away. I, I can't do that to you. <laughs> but you know what? If I really wanted to have six-pack abs, I believe I could. If I was willing to put in the time and the effort, put on those beats, learn the moves, <laughs> I could have had six-pack abs. Some of you are like, no, nah, I can't see it. <laughs> 
But you see, our spiritual life isn't much different if we don't give God our time, if we don't give him permission to work in our lives. If we're not willing to sacrifice to experience some short-term pain for the long-term glory, like that song we sang just this morning, to bear a cross, how did it go? It was just one verse that he said that Sammy sang once there. About to bear the cross for the, something about the crown. Is Sam in here? Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. We all want the crown. But are we bearing our cross? And are we actually willing to tell the world of the treasure we found? Or do we actually realize how much of a treasure Jesus really is? Maybe the reason we don't tell people is because we don't know. Maybe the real reason that we're not more excited about our faith is because we don't really know Jesus that well. If somebody had told me that there was buried treasure in my backyard, I would tell you that if I, if I actually thought it was a credible source, every square inch of my backyard would be dug up. <laughs> I may have only had a little plastic sand toy of my daughter's, but it would have been dug up. And I asked myself, do I have that same dedication in learning about who Jesus is? and his will for my life, and learning his heart for me. I can say sometimes I do. I feel pretty passionate. And other days I don't. Other days I'd rather watch Netflix for three hours. And at the end of three hours, I say, yeah, Rhea, just one more episode. And then two more hours go by, and it's midnight, and I'm like, gosh, I better get to bed. A few more episodes later, it's 4 a.m. I can hardly keep my eyes open. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to go to bed. And then Sophia is already up. And now, I don't know if you guys know, I haven't, I've been home with Sophia for the last few months. So it's not good. When you stay up all night and then you have to take care of her all day, it's like you just feel like a piece of meat. You can hardly get up the next day. But I still do. I still do. You see, if I had planned to read my Bible, get up at 5 a.m. and read my Bible, but I'd sit up watching Netflix till 4, chances are I'd probably sleep in. I probably wouldn't get to my Bible reading time. But Sophia, she starts crying in the other room. I'm up. I'm there. And I think what God is teaching me through having a child and being home with her is that no matter the amount of discomfort that I'm in, she comes first. When she's crying, when she's hurt, I jump up. I'm gone. And I think, do I have that same level of anticipation and desire and get up and go to serve Jesus? When I feel called to pray for someone, do I step out? Do I, am I willing to look like a goof if God doesn't step up and heal somebody? That's something we need to do more. Just the other day, well, for example, my, my uh, mother-in-law is here. And um, my father-in-law has a bad back right now. He has had some back surgeries and different things. And she has some health issues herself. 
But honestly, shame on me. What I haven't really prayed for you guys. Not really. We haven't all got together and laid hands on you and prayed. I know you're my elder, but and the elders can lay hands on people in the church and they'll be healed. But that goes for all of us if we're serving God. You don't have to be 65 to be an elder. Someone may have been serving Jesus from the time they're 8 till they're 25 and have more maturity in their life than someone who just came to the Lord 10 minutes ago at 65. But the trap of money is real. And it's one that I think in our culture that we need to keep our eyes open for. And I know it's one that I fall into often. Jesus spoke pretty strongly about people that choose to put their faith and trust in money and not him. In fact, Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. He also said that no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. Luke 16, 13. You see, these words should make us look up and pay attention. A few years ago, I mentioned that I used to work in youth ministry here at the church. And so when I first started ministry, I was a young single bloke. I didn't have a whole lot of responsibilities in life. And um, I was excited. I was, I was passionate to serve young people because I had some amazing youth leaders and youth pastors in my time in Calgary when I was in my teenage years that helped support me and encourage me in my walk with Christ. And I wanted to do the same for young people in this community when I was given the chance. But as life goes on and, and you get a little older, life gets a little bit more complex. And uh, I found myself a few years in married, like a lot of young Christian pastors do very early. <laughs> and um, now I'm married and I'm living with Rhea and, and life's going good. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, one day there could be a kiddo or two running around this place. And I'd pull out my budget and I'd look. And at that time it was like, Cold Lake rents and stuff were just going through the roof. And of my own take-home pay at that time, when I was working, my rent was more than half of my take-home pay. And sometimes I get this sinking feeling like, ugh, like if Rhea couldn't work, or if we had a kid, this could be really bad, like, ugh. And, and my parents always struggled with money growing up, and so for some reason with money, if I feel insecure about money, it's, it's, it lingers and it's there and it's something that I think I learned from my parents. But over time, so anyhow, that was one of actually the, con the, the contributing reasons why I stepped away from ministry for a time. Because I truly believe that if I could get my financial house in order, if I could be financially stable outside of my income from the church, that I could serve God with everything, I wouldn't have to worry about that aspect of my life. But what I realized was that by choosing to put my trust and my faith in myself to earn my income, to find my security in me and my means to exchange my time for money, what I learned that I stopped trusting God for that area of my life. And I started depending on myself. You see, during this time of my life, I can honestly say that I wasn't seeking God with everything, that I wasn't seeking God as first place in my life. 
I didn't stop serving God. I was still involved in church. I was still involved in small groups. Um, over the last few years, we've had a small group for young adults in our house. We haven't so much since we've had Sophia. So I never stopped attending church or serving in ministry. But I can't honestly say that God was my number one. I'm not even sure if during that time I could say he was two, three, or four, if I were to be completely honest. A lot of my time got caught up with other things. Not that I wasn't well-intentioned, but sometimes just life gets in the way, you know? Again, back to the parable of the soils in Mark 4. Jesus says, There are ones whose seed is sown among thorns. These ones have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. A mark of the Christian life is bearing fruit. Jesus said, if you are my followers and you abide in me, you will bear fruit, much fruit that will last. Lasting fruit is fruit that has eternal significance, things that will live on for eternity. When Jesus first started his ministry, he, wa- he walked along the Sea of Galilee and called out to some Galilean fishermen and said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus then modeled discipleship for us. He took 12 men, lived with them, served them, prayed with them, taught them how to pray, taught them how to do ministry, led them, then gave authority to them to go out and minister in his name. One of the last things Jesus does as recorded in Matthew chapter 28. is a great commission where he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. You see, discipleship is such a big part of the Christian walk. And I believe that some of the reason that the Western church is in decline, when you look at stats, you look at different things, you see there's a lot of churches that have a lot of gray hair that are not relating to the next generation. But discipleship is key. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we've mistaken discipleship for Sunday service. Did you know you could come into this church for week upon week upon week and not know a single person? You could sneak in and leave and not make any meaningful connections with people. But if you don't know somebody, if you don't know a leader who's speaking into your life that's showing you how to pray, showing you what the Christian walk looks like, showing you what's in God's word and how to apply it to your life. How do you grow? People come to a service and they hear, they hear an altar call. They hear a call to salvation. Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, yes, this is the truth. They raise their hand. They, they do whatever they do and, and they, they say the prayer and they accept Jesus into their life and say then and there, I want to follow them. But what's the follow-up? 
I know recently I was talking to Ben, and he was talking about a new believers class. And sorry to bring you up, I didn't talk to you about this. But, um, and he was saying, he's, he said he's bought course material, he's looked at all these different, different things about, you know, of, of could this be a new believers class that would, could be effective here in our church? Could this be a new believers class? But he's having trouble finding something. And I mentioned this a little while ago on a Tuesday night when I was speaking at Troy's His Voice. But do you know what occurred to me, Ben? What if God isn't calling us, or even you, to host a newcomer's class, but God is calling us to be the new believer's class to the person that we just led to the Lord? Why isn't it that each one of us is the new believer's class? That when someone gets led to the Lord, one of us partners with them and says, hey kiddo, follow me. I'll show you the way. I'll show you the way to following Jesus. And I'll teach you what's in the word. I'll show you what you need to know. I'll show you what's relevant, how to apply it to your life. I think this is important. I think it's something that in some ways is, is kind of missing. Like, can, can you guys, if you were to think about it, is there one person or two people you could say really discipled me? Or is it your pastor on Sunday morning? And the ones that can say yes, do you feel like your, your walk with Jesus has been strengthened? That you, were, that you began your walk with Jesus on a firm foundation because you had someone to walk you through those trials? I think so many people fall away when they hit persecution or they hit problems and challenges and trials because they don't have someone to lean on. They don't have someone to show them and, and walk them through it. But there's a time coming soon in which we'll need that or we're going to sink. That if we don't band together as the church, that, that a lot of people are going to fall away. And our influence is going to be very minimal. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. You'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Worship team can come back up to the front here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Disciples bear fruit. Disciples obey the commands of Jesus. Disciples make disciples. The biggest problem in the Western church right now is that we can't replicate ourselves. The church is aging in a lot of cases and is struggling to connect to young people and keep them on path. And even children who are raised in the church are falling away at alarming rates and are not returning to their faith. finish off here tonight it's not like you can always come up for prayer but I don't believe that God is necessarily wanting you to respond right now unless you know that you're willing to commit to it 
Maybe God's spoken to your heart over the last 30 minutes and you're like, yeah, I need to get my act together. God, I've not been following you like I should. Or God, there's something in my life that's missing. Or God, I've been following you for years. I'm wise. I've, you've showed me so much, but I'm not discipling anybody. Or maybe you're new to the faith or you've been in the faith for 10 years, but you need someone to disciple you because you feel like you're not much farther off than you were when you first got saved. I don't know where you're at this morning. But what I would ask you to do, just as the worship team plays, is to ask yourself a couple questions and ponder these things over this week. For those of you that want to follow Christ, that call yourself Christ's disciples, what fruit, what fruit do you see in your life? Are you becoming more like Jesus every day? Do you see your life growing more in peace and patience and kindness and the fruits of the Spirit? Do you see those things growing in your life and being cultivated? So one, what fruit is evident in your life? And two, what is hindering you from fully surrendering your life to Christ? Is it your time management? Are you a Netflix binge watcher like I am? Is it that you were just never that fully committed to begin with? That you're willing to commit two hours a Sunday and maybe a Bible study in the week? But you really don't want your life turned upside down. You really don't want to be inconvenienced that much. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are Lord. And God, forgive me if I present the gospel in a way that dilutes your lordship and solely exalts you as Savior but not Lord. Father, you call us. You call us to so much more than what we're experiencing now. God, thank you that you love us to the point that you would die, Jesus, for us. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would show us where our faults and our weaknesses are this week, Father God. Jesus, would you show us what areas of our life, God, you want to grow and cultivate. Holy Spirit, would you guide us this week in showing us what's hindering us from fully surrendering our life to you. And Holy Spirit, would you empower us to stand boldly in your truth and your word and to step out. But God, not to do it alone, Lord, would you show us who in this body who in the wider community that are our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, God, who we can connect with to walk in relationship with, Father God, to strengthen our bond with you and with each other. Lord, if we are not discipling anyone right now, Father, would you show us someone 
you'd like us to disciple, share the gospel with? God, would you give us a newfound boldness to speak up when we feel a heart fluttering, knowing that we need to do something, but fear creeps in. Lord, your word says over and over and over, do not fear. Do not be afraid. In this life, you will have trials and sorrows. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Lord, may we continue to trust you and grow in love for you this week. And Father, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.